It's been a tough week. Actually, a tough couple of weeks, and a tough month, and a tough year, and you get the idea. So last night I watched some TV. Please sign to verify this is everything you've ever said. This is absurd. Sign this too. I like comic book shows. Sue me. And Disney's newest Marvel series, Loki, launched this week. It's a lot of fun. Or at least the first episode is. And the first episode is all I will see of Loki until next Wednesday. Because Wednesdays, as Disney's newest marketing campaign says, are the new Fridays. This is a new approach that is an old approach. And it is the end result of a really neat little story about how sometimes disruption is not for the better and doesn't last. In 2013, led by a Netflix show called House of Cards, the buzziest new television series for streaming platforms were mostly dumped all at once, ready for binging. Binging was considered a huge difference maker, driving people to streaming platforms and away from cable TV. The premise was simple. You could watch the whole thing, every episode, right now, all in one sitting. Stay up all night. Stay in all weekend. Do whatever you want to do. And now, eight years later, one of the world's biggest entertainment giants has been taking its newest must-see programs on its streaming platforms and building advertising campaigns around the fact that no, actually, it's not all yours. You have to wait a full week between each episode. Sorry, not sorry. So what happened to binging? And are we better off without it? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. It has been a tough week, and we just want to talk about some TV. We've got Norm Wilner here. He is the senior film writer at Now Magazine. He hosts two podcasts. One, called Someone Else's Movie, is available on this network. And another, through Now Magazine, is called, fittingly enough, Now What? Hey, Norm. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm looking forward to talking about the fun world of TV after the week we've had. Yeah. Uh, escapism has never really been quite so important, has it? <laughs> it's just, it's been a miserable week. Yes. Um, and we are now, speaking of weeks, we are now going to talk about the fact that we are now waiting weeks again for episodes of some TV shows, including one we'll get into a little bit later. First, I just want to ask you, do you remember when binge-releasing TV shows became a thing? And was there one or two shows that kind of really started that trend? Yeah, well, I think it was House of Cards. I think that was the first That was the first one that was a hit. That was the first one that became a sensation. Netflix released an entire season of a political show starring Kevin Spacey, which, you know, now nobody remembers at all. It's just a casualty of early everything and also Kevin Spacey. But that was a huge, huge deal when it happened. And the idea that you could watch the whole thing in two days if you really committed, or even you know, you could do it in one day if you were really, really committed, that was seen as revolutionary. Um, and at first, I remember a lot of negativity. People saying, this is too much. There's no there's no point why people can't possibly. And, you know, of course, within six months, it was the new normal. 
and networks were scrambling to figure out how to deal with it and the the very fabric of production had changed and it had and not for the better i don't think because the value of releasing stuff over time in the network model or the conventional or legacy model or whatever you want to call it gives shows a chance to learn what works and adapt to fan feedback I mean, it's a particularly important for comedies, which I think is a reason you don't see a lot of pure comedy shows ordered for uh, for streaming series. Um, you learn what works with chemistry. You learn which actors can handle which roles. I mean, look at an ensemble show like uh, Parks and Recreation, really, where the first season, the first six episodes is just, they don't know what they've got. And then by season two, it's like, oh, Chris Pratt can do anything. And Aubrey Plaza is an invaluable reactive player. And Nick Offerman is doing so much more than we thought he was going to do. And like, if they'd done a 13 episode order and had to release the whole thing at once, there would never have been a second season. They'd be, it would have been dead. And instead you can go with the reaction. You can, you can respond to what the show wants to be. And what we have now is the binge model where here is an entire season of a show we have had no notes. We have had no network uh, telling us what might or might not work. We've done no testing. We're dropping it the way we want to do it. And sometimes it works. And sometimes you can tell it really doesn't. Why has it or had it, I guess, as we're going to talk about if if the tide is now turning back, but why did it become such a dominant method of release? Because, you know, to your point, it actually makes most of the things associated with the show much more difficult. Yeah. Well, and it also, it kills momentum, uh, which was something that no one noticed, apparently, for years. The idea that you would release a show or a movie and just blanket the world with it. And sure, everybody talks about it for a weekend, and then no one talks about it, even though it's still there and it's still being watched and there are people who could still discover it. If something isn't constantly churning in the public eye it may as well not exist. Uh, last July, there was a show on Netflix called Warrior Nun, which was kind of a Buffy knockoff based on a comic book. It's very, it's fun. It's very silly. And again, it takes half the show to figure out what's going on and how to best use the actors. But once it comes together, it was a lot of fun and I was recommending it to people. Uh, and then that was in July of last year or June. And then they just announced, the showrunner, the creator, just announced that he's shooting season two. And I thought, I completely forgot about that show. Did did Netflix pull it? And then I looked and it's still there. But, you know, had they rolled out those 10 episodes over 10 weeks, it would have run straight into September or, or late August. And it would have been given the opportunity to find a much larger audience that would now be excited about a season two. As it is, if you missed the conversation about it that weekend, it was like it never happened. So why is it like that, though? What what, what prompted... What's the advantage? Yeah, what, what is... The reasoning, because like, you know, studios are not stupid. Um, well, I mean, we can argue that point, I guess, depending on what studio you're talking about. But, you know, this is a business and and it's TV's made a lot of money for a long time and they wouldn't be binge dropping series if they had all this evidence saying it was the wrong thing to do. So why did it take over? I think it was the impulse towards disruptive behavior that dominated all of the last decade where it's like we can do this now and because these streaming services are not using a commercial model because they don't need to be um, structured around keeping people's interest constantly on a given thing it's not going to make any difference at all if they release all 10 episodes or all 15 episodes of something 
at once or rule them out and then charge ad rates that can spike because the show's a hit. You know, it was a huge deal when Friends was Friends in 1995 and 6, I guess. Diet Coke sponsored a shot or something and it was some big deal. But they had these massive ad campaigns and it was a huge revenue driver for the show, obviously, because they had a massive audience. So the massive audience thing has changed because everything's so fragmented now. And a streaming service runs on subscribers, not on ads. So... Netflix and Amazon and, well, I guess Peacock still does in the States, but the like the various streamers, they don't care about whether or not a show gets more popular over time. They want to have the footprint that weekend and dominate it and then have something else the following weekend. And because Netflix and, and uh, Prime and now Disney with the Marvel and the Star Wars franchises, because they are capable of putting out a new thing every week that is going to be that big if they structure it properly... It's just become the normal. Why not? Why not just put out an entire show every week or two or three and then two or three features if you're Netflix and, you know, one of them's going to catch. It doesn't matter if they all do. And what ends up happening is one thing does click if the timing is right or the thing from Amazon clicks that week or the thing that Apple clicks that week. And then the streamers don't care because next week is a whole new game with the reset and the one thing Disney has done really, really smartly, Apple does it too, but not with every show. Uh, the one thing Disney has done is create the event television thing by making sure they dole out their big deals slowly, regularly, and uh, hypefully. Hypefully? Is that a word? I think it's a word. With as much hype as possible. Which brings us to Loki. The Big Story will be back. In just a minute. I want to ask you if there was a moment uh, when it seemed to you like the shift backwards towards weekly or doled out shows began. Because about two years ago, I guess, maybe a little more, uh, we did an episode of this podcast at the very end of Game of Thrones. And we kind of marked that as this might be the last weekly television everybody watches together and discusses it the next day. Appointment uh, viewing, we call episodics. it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, I know it's a little bit different when they drop on-demand episodes weekly, but it's still the same, like, you got to wait for it and spend your time in between talking about it. Oh, yeah. Model. When, when did that start to shift back? Was it Disney Plus? Um, it might have been. I'm thinking like The Mandalorian was probably the first. It was the first Disney show that was week to week. Um, and it was the first Star Wars television property, which was a huge deal at the time and, and probably still is. Like that show represents uh, a shift in the way the property the, of Star Wars was was being treated. And, and now they've announced like 18 more Star Wars shows. Uh, so that's going to blunt it. But at the time, it was a huge, huge, huge deal. Um, maybe Westworld was still doing it, I think, because all the other HBO series, HBO wasn't doing the binge model. It never did. Right. So it was just the Game of Thrones had built so much momentum into that ending that it was unfathomable that you would miss it if you cared, even though the show was just a shadow of its former self in the final season and and no one was happy with the way it ended. It was still a huge, huge thing. 
you know, and network television was still doing it. Uh, I was watching the, the Good Place like live, basically just week to week because it was such a fascinating narrative and, and kept doing weird things. But I think if Game of Thrones was the end of the conventional model, The Mandalorian was the fall of 2019, and uh, I think that was the thing that really snapped it back, that really made people realize, because it was the killer app for Disney+, Plus. it was the reason you had a subscription, and then it was a mystery, because, you know, I cannot think of a better concept for getting nerds to come back week after week than what's under the helmet. What an ingenious pitch. Uh, I think it was Matt Zoller-Seitz, a television critic in the States, who said that when the second season finale dropped and the big reveal of the the mystery of the Jedi was revealed, he said, you know, like, congratulations to the Mandalorian for doing the thing it was always going to do, but making me think it was going to do something different. It's just, that's what you want in a show. I think for television, like The Sopranos or The Wire, it shows you the possibilities in this massive world that you're navigating. And then it gives you the thing that kind of is the only thing it could give you. In The Sopranos, it's the way it ends. In The Wire, it's the fact that the system always wins. In The Mandalorian, it's the revelation that this person, of course it's this person. It was only ever going to be this person doing the thing that is the only thing the show can do based on the way the show is constructed. That is, in a weird way, what episodic television is all about. And if you dropped all eight episodes of The Mandalorian to binge on, people would have got there and been dissatisfied with it immediately. As opposed to taking the time and thinking and, and just mulling over what's going on. And then the ending feels satisfying. And I think that's the most important thing about episodic television is that it's designed to be paced. There was there was a, an entire season of Luke Cage where every episode it would come back to two characters, two of the villains sitting in a room and one of the villains saying, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And the other villain saying, no, you have to. Every week. Except it wasn't every week. It was every hour. And it got so boring, so fast, that if you'd stretched that thing out over a couple of months, maybe it wouldn't have been so annoying. Maybe it would have been a necessary pause in the pacing of the episode. Instead, because we're supposed to gun through these and eat them in an entire weekend, all you can see are the flaws. And that's something that a slower rollout doesn't do. With WandaVision, people were creating fan theories and driving themselves into pretzel knots trying to come up with explanations or the significance of every character when they're not, you know, always right. And then people got mad at that, which perpetuated the discourse. It kept it alive. Every week there were more fan theories and recaps and breakdowns. And the following week, the show would do what it was going to do anyway. And people would say, no, it means this and this. And it was incredibly nerdy and kind of exhausting. But it's genius from Disney's perspective, because every week there is a new burst of activity on social media and legacy media trying to figure out what this thing means. And now with Loki, they're sort of pinballing all over the sci-fi universe of, of the world on top of the world that they've already built in the Marvel universe. And it's insanely complex and incredibly convoluted. And that is going to make people talk about it all over again. So again, they're getting what they want. If they had released this in a weekend, it would be over in a weekend. Instead, it runs for what is it, eight episodes? It's going to go on straight into uh, the beginning of August, I think. I'll add one more thing before we move on, and and I get your review of Loki, uh, which I also watched the first episode of, to prepare for this conversation, because it's not often that I can uh, just watch Disney Plus and call it work. Um, <laughs> but if The Mandalorian, which I watched and enjoyed, had been a binge drop, 
I never would have watched it because I'm busy and I'm a dad and I would have watched the first episode and it would have been spoiled for me on Twitter and the conversation would have moved past me and I wouldn't get to participate in it. And then I'd say, oh, why bother? Which is exactly what happened to me uh, with The Queen's Gambit. Yeah, yeah. I did not enjoy The Queen's Gambit, so it's a poor example for me, but I can think of half a dozen other shows that I haven't even gotten into because I didn't have to review them and it's just too intimidating. Yeah. And it's over before you can, yeah, it's over before you can actually bother to make it a part of your watching life. Right. And when you say over, you mean culturally over because it's still there. Yeah. That's the other thing, right? All of these shows are still floating around on their respective services waiting to be seen or discovered. Um, I'm thinking about the other thing that works for something like The Mandalorian was when Paul Sun Young Lee from Kim's Convenience showed up and Canada went nuts. And if that, had, again, he shows up, he's in a couple of episodes, he, he comes back um, in the second season, he's in the, I think the third one, and then pops up again in, in six or seven. And everybody just got to enjoy that at the same time, but it wasn't muffled under all the other Mandalorian coverage that would have happened in a binge model, right? Like it was a sensation in Canada. It was a major story. And I think if it had happened... While all the other Mandalorian is back coverage was happening, it would have been a drop in a bucket. Instead, it got to be the story. Um, Evan Peters shows up in WandaVision as Wanda's dead brother, Pietro, or Pete, in the the version of the show. And it's a huge deal because Evan Peters played a different version of Quicksilver in the X-Men movies. It's like a nice little Easter egg for, for geeks who are sticking through this. Right. Which is all that it is in the show. It was, hey, we can cast him. It'll be fun. In what happened, because it was midway through the season, and again, it was being released week to week, that became a massive story on every nerd site because does this mean the X-Men are going to show up? Does this mean it's a connection? If you release the entire season on one day, it burns out. The discourse dies and you don't have the, the pop culture, SEO, social media domination that you're seeking. And so the genius of Disney is they've gone back to the original Wonderful World of Disney every Sunday model and they roll stuff out slowly and they keep people talking. And Loki launched this week and the campaign for it, and this is why we're doing this episode, explicitly leaned into uh, anti-binging. And so the tagline is Wednesdays are the new Fridays. Friday being when their previous weekly episodes used to drop. And I just think it's fascinating that we've gone full circle from Netflix pitching, like you can watch everything you want right now. That's the selling point to Disney now pitching as an enticement. Like, no, we're not going to give this to you except on Wednesdays. It's a 180-degree turn in terms of how these shows are marketed. Yeah, and it's just an evolution of marketing, period. It's it's not even it's it's not a regression because if you argue that they're going back to the appointment viewing model, then they would release them at the same time everywhere, you know, like at 9 p.m. wherever you are in the world. Instead, they drop them at uh, midnight Pacific, which is 3 a.m. in Toronto, and I mean, there are people who stay up to watch every new episode. Um Disney has just found a way to remind people that, you know, sometimes the old ways are best. It's okay to to slowly work through something. It's okay to deliver something slowly. Uh, I was astonished, but also not surprised that when WandaVision came out as a weekly, 
there was a little wave of journalists, uh, writers anyway, people online who were being, I think the only word to use is pissy, about being denied the experience of binging because that's what they wanted. They wanted to watch the whole thing and they didn't want to wait. And there's somebody who wrote, I don't know, 1,200 words about it. And I read those words. And all it comes down to is, I want what I want now. And it's the same people who say, I'm going to pirate this movie if it's not available in Canada in a theater. And, you know, it's fine. People are entitled. People have spent the last five years having everything they want at the touch of a button instantly. I understand the mentality. I don't respect it because ultimately the show doesn't belong to me. Mm -hmm. I am watching someone else's work. And if that person or that network or that studio or that massive entertainment conglomerate chooses to release it week to week, I don't actually have an opinion that matters. It's not my call. And with WandaVision, that argument, and it's going to happen again with Loki, the argument that I want to be able to see this whole thing right now, means the show is working. It means you want the answers. It means you want to continue watching it. And that means, unfortunately, the multi-million dollar entertainment conglomerate is winning because (laughs) they want you to keep watching. And you can't pirate it because they're not releasing it. And so you have to wait. Maybe you pirate it on the week. I don't know how these guys work. But what it does is scarcity creates demand and a property such as this, which is just a great big Lego playset for nerds uh, watching probably the most entertaining, definitely the, I was going to say possibly the most beloved character in the Marvel universe. I've been saying that a lot. It's either him or Tony Stark, but definitely Tom Hiddleston is the most fun actor of the entire project. And they killed him and he's back and it's great. And I am, I've seen the second episode because they provided the first two to reviewers. So next week is going to be a weird, dull week for me. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it because it's a chance for creative people to make very silly things with a lot of money behind them. And you can argue that uh, mass media doesn't need more giant fantasy projects, but that's the dominant narrative right now. And I still get to watch whatever else I want to watch. It's it's not that these things obliterate all other culture. Clio Barnard, who's one of my favorite filmmakers, just has a movie announced at the director's Fortnite at Cannes, I just found out today. And I'm overjoyed that I probably get to see that at TIFF. But also, you know, there's Loki for people who want Loki. It's not like the entire collective works of Martin Scorsese or Stanley Kubrick have been erased by the existence of these things. And Scorsese and Kubrick made some pretty commercial stuff themselves. Um, But the idea that people are salivating week to week to watch uh, someone who 15 years ago was an obscure Shakespearean actor dress in a funny costume and and yell at special effects, I do think that's kind of great. I'm kind of happy everyone's getting paid for this. Last question. Is Loki worth waiting uh, for each week? You mentioned you've seen the first two and you like it. Um, I've seen the first one. I thought it was lots of fun, to your point. A giant Lego set for nerds, but a beautifully designed one. Yeah, the the production design gets really fun in the second episode. They come up with more stuff, including glimpses of the future, glimpses of the past. Uh, I'm not sure what I even want to disclose because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Um, yeah, it's it's. I found the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, it was okay, but it was political. Its politics were muddled, and it was kind of gray in that Marvel House style. Shows like Loki and Wandavision are 
not as as rooted in the Marvel Studios house style. They can be more playful. They can be bright and silly and weird and scary if they want to be. And apparently they can cast whoever the hell they want, which is why you have this um, amazing supporting cast for Tom Hiddleston to annoy. And you can see it going in other directions. You can see, like, I don't know that this show is going to be the one that does the thing where it delivers the only thing it could possibly deliver because it right off the bat, it tells you that it could go anywhere and do anything. The influences are, are everywhere and all over the place. And I'm very curious to watch it because I enjoy watching the people behind it. And, you know, it's 45 minutes of diversion every week. I'm perfectly happy to do that. I don't know that I would be as excited if it was six hours of diversion all at once. It's exactly how I feel. Thanks, Norm. Thanks for this. Uh, thanks for not spoiling the second episode because I'm looking forward to it. I would, I would never. <laughs> Norm Wilner of Now Magazine and of Someone Else's Movie, which you can listen to right here on the Frequency Podcast Network. That was also the big story. For more from us, as I tell you every single day, it's all at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn, and you can email us, thebigstorypodcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com, and find us on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe, follow, friend us. Review us, rate us, like us, whatever they tell you to do, just do it. Stephanie Phillips, Ryan Clark, and Claire Broussard produced The Big Story. And I'm your host, Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Thank you guys for listening. Stay safe this weekend. Be well. We'll talk Monday.